Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So before we go too far here, Parker, I need to ask you a question. When are you going to shave? <laughs> for, for those of you that are new here, Parker, when I used to have a beard, he would ask me every Sunday when I'm going to shave. So now it's my turn to bug him. <laughs> Love you, Parker. <laughs> so this morning we are continuing our study this week. And we're going to revisit a question that the disciples brought to Jesus, or a request that the disciples brought to Jesus. Teach us to pray. Over the past few weeks, we've gone through some, some various teachings on prayer. We've talked about um, how we engage with one another when we're, we're praying for each other. We've talked about what it means to receive a, a word from the Holy Spirit for another person. We've talked about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading on our life. We've talked about the importance of prayer. And, and so it, it just seemed like it made sense to come back yet again to this question that really we should just be asking every day of our lives. Jesus, teach us to pray. If we, we look at a married couple, maybe a, a couple that has, they, they've dated, they've been engaged, and, and they've finally decided to get married, and we, we look at that kind of love. And then we, we contrast that kind of love with this love of a couple who has grown old together, that has, has been together for 60, 70 years. They, they, they've seen each other grow up and, and they've loved each other through all of the different seasons of life to, to it being a love that is perfectly aged, a love that is seasoned, a love that, that has seen the, the tests of time and it has stood. We see these two types of love. And I would say that love in both of those seasons is maybe easy. Love in both of those seasons is easier compared to the love in the middle. That, that love in between. That's where love has to be worked at where love has to be nourished, where love has to be nurtured, where time has to be spent and dedicated. St. Augustine wrote that true whole prayer is nothing but love. When the journey first begins, when, when life is coming to an end in either of those situations, it, it's easy to, to come and pray. When, when you first come to the Lord and you first recognize the, the sacrifice that has been made for you, that you have been plucked from death into eternal life, of course you want to pray. How can you, you stop from praying? And when you come to the end of your life, of course we want to pray. We want to make sure we're, we're in relationship with God as we come to that, that time of seeing him face to face. But it's in those middle times where we're called to be faithful, where we're called to abide with God. And in the Sunday school class this morning, we talked about what does it mean to abide? And we, we had a lot of different definitions, a lot of different um, 
different ideas and conversation that came from it. But one key point in t- when it comes to abiding is that it requires intentionality. You can't accidentally abide with someone. So what this means is that in the moments when distractions are at their peak, in the moments where jobs are demanding, where kids are being raised, where houses are being built, lived in, repaired, moved out of, torn down, whatever the case may be, when all of that is happening, still in the midst of that, we're called to love and we're still called to pray. If a newly married couple thinks that their love is enough to sustain a marriage, they're wrong. Getting married is not, the, having love for one another is not enough to sustain a marriage because people change, feelings change, the, the things that are in us change. However, if I say that because I have made this dedication, this commitment, this marriage agreement between two people, I'm saying that even when I'm out of this phase of love, when I'm out of this phase of, in a beginning, we could even call it infatuation, when I'm out of that phase of life and I get into the middle of my house, my job, my, my work, and, and my kids, and everything else. In the midst of that, even in the midst of all of that, I'm going to choose to love you still. And if you kind of are following along, if I'm going to choose to love still, then I need to choose to pray still. Prayer is about relationship, which means that commitment or fidelity to that relationship is a critical component. See, over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about all of these really amazing aspects of prayer that I am extremely excited to see lived out here at Wood Street Chapel. But the truth is, is it would be all too easy for us to look at, at the past two, three weeks as an interesting couple of weeks in a study. It would be all too easy to look at, well, okay, we we talked about how to pray for people that one time, but we're going to move on to the next X, Y, (laughs) Z. But the truth is, rather than considering it a one-time thing, this morning we're going to take a moment and we're going to, to... look within ourselves, we're going to turn inwards, coming to that same request that the disciples made, God teach us to pray. Coming back to those two couples, we have the, the couple who has just gotten married and we have the couple that, that has been together for years upon years upon years. The couple that just gets married, they look at that couple who has been married for all of that time and they say, I want that. I I want what they have. What they have is something that is completely different than what I have and I want it. And that's exactly what the disciples are doing. That's, That's the conversation. They are watching Jesus in his interactions with the Father, and they're, they're seeing him live out a life that is, is in complete connection and complete submission to the Father, and they're saying, we want that. 
That is so much different than anything that we have ever heard of or, or learned in Sunday school, in you know, their version of Sunday school, in, <laughs> in their time of study with their priests, with their, their rabbis. It is so much different than any of that, and we want it. And the responses that, that Jesus gives is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. A prayer that is so intimate, so available for anybody that would come that even the the priests and the the religious scholars, they got uncomfortable. That the everyday man was going to be able to sit down and, and pray like that to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't want to call Jesus out or anything, but that, that actually wasn't exactly original content. There's the, the Jewish prayer that, that I'm sure was, was prayed frequently amongst the disciples and amongst Jesus. This called the Kaddish. And, and it says, magnified and sanctified may his great name be in the world he created by his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days. I mean, it's pretty similar. But Jesus takes what they knew and he makes it so much more personal. And in making it available, he makes it available to these people who are actively seeking out a personal God. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, pray to God even more personally than you think you're allowed to. That's the relationship that God wants. The relationship that God wants for you doesn't involve a curtain that separates the two of you. Pray to God even more personally than you think you are allowed to because this entire thing is about love. The story from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end is about God's reckless, perfect love for his children. Jesus is saying, center your life around prayer because prayer is where love flourishes. Jesus is praying to the God the Father. God in heaven, our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I love you so much that I want to see everything that you have in heaven happen here. That's the love. Jesus is saying, pray with the the heart of a lover and the discipline of a monk. Get in there and pray and pray and pray so that that relationship exists. Prayer is built on love, which means that it can't be sustained by fluttery moments and, and, oh, this just feels good. Just like love between a man and a woman in that middle season takes work, prayer needs a structure and effort to work. 
We need a sober, unromanticized, committed view of prayer if we are going to have that be something that we build our walk on. Only then, I mean, let's be honest, that's how you get to the old person, married couple version of love, right? We, we start out at the infatuation. There, you don't get to skip the middle and go to the end. You have to take the journey. The journey is that middle season. That middle season is where you have to have the structure, where we have to have the commitment to move forward. And we see this throughout church history. There is a commitment to prayer that is beyond just the, I'm going to pray when I feel good. I'm going to pray when uh, the world is falling down around me. I'm going to pray when I need something. There was structured prayer that was implemented into the life of the church. They paused three times a day to pray, morning, noon, and night. We see it in Psalm 55. It says, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. We just finished the study on the book of Daniel. And there was a question that was asked, and it was an uncomfortable question. Do people know when to catch you praying? People knew when to catch Daniel praying because he prayed according to a structure. It was built into the fabric of his life. He prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. He prayed in the windowsill. He prayed facing Jerusalem, and it didn't matter if he was going to get thrown in the lion's den or not. He was going to be in relationship with God. Jesus follows this daily rhythm of prayer. Every gospel shows Jesus withdrawing to go pray. And not every time that Jesus withdraws to go pray, or every time we see Jesus pray is it part of the, the daily rhythm of prayer. There's absolutely spontaneity that is built into his prayer life. But he absolutely followed a specific rhythm. If we, we come back to the, the Chosen video series, I, I know I kind of reference it semi-regularly, there is a wonderful example of a prayer that is probably pretty accurate that he would have prayed. In the morning when he wakes up, he says, I gratefully thank you, O living and eternal king. You have returned my soul within me with compassion. Abundant is your faithfulness. That's just the prayer when you wake up in the morning. And there's a prayer when you go to sleep at night. And there's a prayer when you, in the midday. There is a lot of historical evidence that points to people during Jesus' time going to their temple, going to their, their uh, place of worship three times a day to pray. Jesus prayed by himself. He prayed with others. But most importantly, and the point I'm obviously trying to make this morning, is that he prayed according to a specific prayer rhythm. That there was a structure throughout his day that, that just brought him back. That he was living as an example for, for his disciples to follow. If we move forward and we look at the book of Acts, we see the early church doing exactly that, that they are adopting the same rhythms, recognizing the importance of setting aside time in the day to be in relationship with a God who loves them. Peter and John are going to the temple. Do you know what they were doing? They were going to the temple to pray. Good. 
Everybody's following along. <laughs> Peter, Peter goes up onto a rooftop at the, the noon hour, and he, you know what he goes up there to do? After Peter and John join up with the other believers in the area to, to pray and give thanks after they've been released from prison, um, the, the temple shakes and, and they begin to uh, prophesy and they begin to, to move in the spirit. I have a question. How do you think it is that a, a big group of people, I mean, fairly big, I'm guessing, coordinated a time and a place and a, a specific topic without any cell phones. It's because they had a set time to pray. That's why. That, that's how they did it. I would guess it's because they had a pre-arranged time. They had a rhythm of prayer that said, Whatever happens throughout my day at the noon hour, I'm coming to pray at the temple. That's, that's just what we do. Or I'm meeting at this house to pray. I'm, we're going to come together and we are going to pray. A three-part prayer rhythm was, was the anchor of the, the early church. In Acts, uh, Acts 3, Peter and John heal on their way to prayer. Acts 10 Peter receives a vision that the, the gospel is for the nations, and that vision comes while he's praying. In Acts 4, the, the place of meeting where the church is praying is shaken, as we already mentioned. And so what we see here is that when the, the church, the early church, takes on a specific daily rhythm of prayer, God shows up and does things. And when the modern church doesn't have a daily rhythm of prayer, there's less things that are getting done. Not that we're keeping score, but we kind of are. Maybe there's a connection. When we pray expressing our love of God, the power of God can't be far behind. And so if we move forward through history, a shared daily prayer rhythm is something that, that was just an assumption for centuries. And then Rome falls, and, and with the fall of Rome, the church gets political. And in that political move, that political shift, the rhythm of prayer is lost to some extent for the majority of the church. Individuals continue to pray, but it wasn't something that was anchored in rhythm. And, and that's where we see these first monasteries crop up where people are looking back at church history saying, hey, this, this was an important thing. And so the, the first monasteries were simply groups of people coming together who wanted to come back to that daily prayer rhythm, that wanted to come back to that time of dedication, of, of putting their, their time in in that middle season. And then monasteries took a whole turn, and we're not going to go there. But when Paul writes, pray without ceasing... He's talking about two things. He's talking about practice the presence of God. He's, he's talking about absolutely there should be a, a, a spontaneous open dialogue that exists between you and your, your God because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And 
there is a time of, of, of practicing prayer within a structure and doing it communally. So in keeping with our theme of what we've talked about over the past few weeks, keeping things practical, I'm pretty specifically advocating that we return to what seems to have been lost in the modern church, that we return to a daily prayer rhythm, morning, noon, and night. Doesn't that seem a little legalistic, Matt? Doesn't that, that seem like we're, we're making it a little too form-filled, a little too established? And, and my question would be, is it legalistic that I specifically and intentionally set aside time to spend with my wife in order to develop that relationship in a, a more healthy way? so that I can get to that, that old couple kind of love that I want? Is it legalistic that I specifically and intentionally set aside time for me to, to spend with my children because I love them and I wanna spend time with them and it's easy for me to, to not do that so I have to make sure I set aside that time? Is that legalistic? It can be. It can be if there's no love or, in, or thought put into it after the fact. But if we come to, the, to these times of prayer and we actually intend to seek out the God of the universe and we seek out relationship in those moments, then absolutely it's, it's something that is beneficial, that is well worth our time. The church today has a bias towards spontaneity and a resistance to rhythm. But the fact of the matter is that adherence to a daily rhythm of prayer can help lead to spontaneity. The, the best way to think about this is if you think about a saxophone. A saxophone in an orchestra plays the exact sheet music that is in front of them and they play it perfectly. If you look at a, a saxophone in a jazz band, the, the saxophone in the jazz band is, is doing a complete uh, improv improvisation uh, of the music that's in front of them. They're, they're making things up as they go. And it would be tempting to look at the jazz band saxophone player and say, I just wanna be like that. I just wanna go out and do my own thing. I don't need the structure. I don't need the rhythm. But the fact of the matter is the only reason the saxophonist in a jazz band is able to do what he's able to do is because he can read the music perfectly. He has that rhythm already built into his life and out of that flows the ability to be spontaneous and to have that additional layer of creativity. And so my, my thought, the, the direction that, that feels appropriate, that seems appropriate that, that I'm seeing here is that this should be a part of our daily life. This should be a structure that we participate in. What would a daily prayer rhythm look like for Wood Street Chapel? In the morning when you wake up, we pray the Lord's Prayer. At noon, we pray for the lost. And in evening, we have a prayer of gratitude. You're welcome for not making you memorize all of the 150 psalms to recite. That's what they had to do back in the day. But with that missing, what we're going to try to find 
here is a rhythm that that acknowledges what has been done before. We're not going to improve upon it. We are going to, to incorporate it into our lives today. Why did Jesus go out by himself to pray? It wasn't because he was trying to get an extra, you know, 100% on his spiritual scorecard. He went out to pray because of love. He desired to be with the Father, and so it was prioritized in his life. The early church got together and they prayed in a specific rhythm without an iPhone, without even a clock to tell them what time they were supposed to meet. How did they do that? They did it because prayer was the fabric of everything that they lived with. I'm going to go to the market and I'm going to do it before midday prayer. After the evening prayer, I want you to come over here and do this. In the morning, after morning prayer, let's go do this, this, and this. That was their measurement of time. That was how they built their life was around prayer. What do you center your day around? Ooh, snap. iPhone notifications? Task lists? Emails? Dates until your next vacation? Whatever thing you choose to center your day around is shaping you into its image. It is. Because whatever thing you choose to shape your day around is the thing that you're giving priority, is the thing that you are allowing to have say over what you do and who you are. So what if we placed communion with God, the God who personifies love as the center focus of our life and of our day? What if in the middle of the day you stopped and allowed God to remind you of who you are and what you mean to him in the midst of a life where there are all manner of people and things competing to to define who you are? What if the minutes before you, spl- you sleep are spent thanking God for the big and the small things that he has done for you throughout the day? How do we live with this? How do we live like this? It starts with commitment. It has to be a commitment. If we look at the, I know I'm using marriage a lot today and This is relevant for anybody, even if you're not married, I promise. But if you look at the the wedding vow that's made, that they would be be taken in sickness and in health, that's a commitment. That's a promise. That that even after, maybe there's times where I don't feel the, the same way that I do today, but I'm still going to choose to love regardless of what happens here. For those of you that don't know, and I have very intentionally put off telling this publicly so that I don't have to be held to this if I ever decide not to do it, is that um, 
I am training uh, right now to participate in a triathlon. Um, but my, my overall plan is that this time next year, I will be participating in an Ironman triathlon, which is a two-mile swim, 112 miles on a bike, and 26 miles running in one day. Um, and the reason I share that, so now that I've shared it, I'm committed because I have now communicated that to a large group of people, right? But my commitment to that specific goal has had to start well before today. There are days that I don't want to get up. And, and go for a run. There are days that I would rather not go out and run nine miles. There are days that I don't really want to go out and ride my bike for 50 miles. It, it's tired, it's cold, it's not comfortable. There are other things that, that I would much more like to do, except I know that I have this goal that I want to achieve. And one of the, the most important pieces of advice I received when I decided to, to start looking into this, if this was something that I wanted to do, was that you have to know your why. Why are you doing this? And I promise this is coming back, so just go with me for a minute. Why is this something you're, you're doing? And you know, the pastor in me is, well, you know, the pain is for a moment, but the sermon illustrations are for forever. Uh, <laughs> but... But it's obviously more than that. I want, to, I want to set a goal that is audacious. I want to set a goal that is so outside of anything that I am capable of doing right now that, that it takes a crazy amount of effort and work to achieve. I want to set a goal that, that is something that my kids can look at and they, they can be proud of. I want to, want to do something that improves my own health. I, the, there are all of these different reasons that, that I have, have set aside for myself so that in those moments when I'm saying, man, I am so tired. Man, my legs hurt today. When I'm in the middle of those things, I can come back to my Why? And I can say, this is why I'm doing this. And it has to be enough. Can you see the connection? There has to be a why for why we're deciding to incorporate a structure or a rhythm of prayer in our day-to-day life. There has to be something that says, there's a reason for me to wake up in the morning and to focus on, on giving those first few moments to God. There's a reason that I need to dedicate this time and set it aside because it's worth it. I can't tell you what your why is. I can just tell you you're going to need one because there are going to be those moments where you're saying, man, I have other things I need to do. I have other stuff that, that is taking priority. But there's, there's a reason. There's a reason that I do this. When we talk about morning prayer, I'm not talking about reciting the Lord's Prayer from memory. That's, that's not really what this is focused on at all. What I'm talking about is using the Lord's Prayer as the, the structure that Jesus intended it to be. Remember who you're talking to. We're talking to my Father God. God, thank you for being my Father. Thank you for loving me with the heart of a Father. 
God, I, I thank you for your healing. I thank you for your provision. God, I want to see your kingdom come on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And, and you continue through it that way. I'm not talking about spending an hour praying. Take two minutes. Start your day with that intentional focus. And then midday, pray for the lost. Try to imagine yourself mid-workday mid right now. Just everybody stop for just a moment. Whether you're at work, you're at school, you're at home, whatever you're doing, stop for a moment and just imagine that time. And what if you could escape what you were doing for one to two minutes to remind yourself that Jesus is the good shepherd who left the 99 for the one? And maybe you're surrounded by the one. What if in that moment you could pray and say, Jesus, I, I invite you into my workplace. I invite you to, to go after the people that, that are lost in my life. Jesus, send me into these people's lives. And then what if, what if in the evening time when so often we bring home all of the stress, all of the stuff, Remember, we've talked about stuff. What if we bring all of the stuff home with us and instead of bringing those things home with us, we set those things aside and we pray gratitude. God, thank you. Thank you for the blessings that you have shown throughout my day. Even in the midst of difficulty, we can find those times of blessing, those things where God has moved and how he has blessed and the, the words that he has said. And we say, God, thank you for those things. And pretty soon what happens is what we bring home is no longer the, the drama from work, but it's the fruit of the spirit because we are praying and making ourselves available to God. So is this something we can, can get behind? Can we say, yeah, let, let's, let's do this? Good. Like half of you. <laughs> this is something that is going to become a, a foundational component at Wood Street Chapel. And as we develop our prayer ministry, this is going to be something that comes right alongside that, where we will, will help guide and direct and, and maintain what a, a daily prayer rhythm looks like. But this is something that I want incorporated in my life to a more specific, structured degree than it ever has been. Because I want the kind of love, the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And the way I get that is through this. So that's my why. You have to figure out yours. Heavenly Father, thank you that you desire a relationship with your children. Thank you that you love us, that we are not alone, that you have, have given everything for us. And so God, this morning we, we commit to structuring our life in such a way that there is a, a rhythm of prayer that points back to you, that, that points us back to you. 
In the morning when we wake up, we, we pause and we recognize where our help comes from. In the afternoon, we come and, and we bring the lost before you, God, that, that our heart would break the way yours does for those that are, are in desperate need of you. And God, in the evening, we come and we say thank you. We say thank you to the giver of perfect gifts. Lord, as we go from this place, as we take time to, to enter into our, our ministry time, a time to receive, Lord, we ask that you would, would be with every single person here as they go into their week. Holy Spirit, that you would, would create divine appointments, that you would direct steps that you would move in mighty ways amongst your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 